0: Hello, and welcome to Marshmallows by the Hellfire, where we believe that feel-good Christianity and Catholicism doesn't actually make anyone feel good, and the best way to find peace is by tackling difficult questions head-on. On this podcast, we will wrestle with difficult theological topics and explore Dante's Divine Comedy. So come, grab some marshmallows, come by the Hellfire, and let's dive in today's topic, which is hopeful universalism. Or should we hope that all people be saved? Along the way, we will consider grace, a little bit of predestination, alternate versions of ourselves, one of my favorite video games, and even the origins of Halloween. So come on over and let's wrestle with these tough topics that feel-good Christianity doesn't wrestle with anymore. One of my favorite video games, Phoenix Wright, Ace Attorney, opens with a heated court battle. It's Phoenix's first case, and at the height of the trial, it seems clear that the client must be guilty. But Phoenix's mentor, Mia, tells him to believe in his client. And at the last hour, the contradiction is found, and the prosecution's case falls apart. The client was innocent, after all. After the trial, Mia gives this counsel. I hope you see the importance of evidence now. Also, hopefully, you realize things change depending on how you look at them. People too. We never really know if our clients are guilty or innocent. All we can do is believe in them. And in order to believe in them, you have to believe in yourself. Right. Listen, learn, grow strong, Never let go of what you believe in. Never. Mia personifies what a paraclete or advocate is, one of the titles of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit aims to protect us from sin and, at our judgment, be there for our defense before God's awe-inspiring tribunal. In our case, it's not guilt or innocence we never really know. All humans are guilty of sin, Rather, it's whether the person is repenting, seeking heaven, that is not known. Many priests and theologians, including ones I very much respect, have promoted the belief that since we never really know if any given person is in hell, we can reasonably hope that all people be saved. I think these theologians want to see themselves as Mia, looking out for those who seem guilty and still holding on to hope against hope. But Mia doesn't believe in a world with no murders. She believes in her client, but she doesn't deny that murder is taking place. We, in our case, should not deny that non-repentance is taking place. So why shouldn't we reasonably hope that all people be saved? One of the first reasons, of course, is that this idea is rejected by our Lord himself. And a certain man said to him, Lord, are they few that are saved? The Bible couldn't get more on the the nose about this. Um, Are they few that are saved? But he, Jesus, said to them, Strive to enter by the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, shall seek to enter and shall not be able. But when the master of the house shall be gone in, and shall shut the door, you shall begin to stand without, and knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us. And he answering shall say to you, I know you not whence you are. Then you shall begin to say, We have eaten and drunk in thy presence, and thou hast taught in our streets. And he shall say to you, I know you not whence you are. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. It's clear from the divine rejection in the passage that it is hell and not purgatory that is envisioned here. I fear that if we twist this passage to allow for a hopeful universalism, we have committed ourselves to a form of biblical interpretation where words no longer have meaning. Rabbinic hyperbole becomes the knee-jerk reaction to anything we don't like, and soon the scriptures tell us more about ourselves than about God. And there's another problem. I think the hope that all people, meaning 100% salvation rate, rate, uh, hoping for that, somehow presupposes that God's love for the reprobate or those who become the damned is lacking or that a God with infinite creativity would never make a human creature that would reject him. That knowledge of God's love gives us a basis to downplay hell. God's love for the damned, for the reprobate, is not inadequate or faulty at all. Indeed, it teaches us something important about love, including loves we find ourselves in. We humans sometimes love, or at least try to love, those who don't love us. Hillstorm's song wisely acknowledges that, Yes, I just said wisely in relation to the hillstorm. That sometimes that we, that what we call love is really a psychological loop. People get used to the bad circumstances or believe the abusers blame or believe they deserve the problem or perhaps most dangerous of all. They believe they can save the abuser. The fact that God does damn some should empower those who need to to leave hostile relationships. Perfect divine love has boundaries and a breaking point. So should we. While Hailstorm's song addresses why people can stay in bad relationships, it doesn't reflect on why they start to begin with. Sometimes, granted, the psychological loop that caused the relationship to continue is primarily responsible for the relationship start. However, I don't think that it's true that all or even most people who find themselves in an abusive, one-sided relationship didn't see anything worth loving about the person they fell for. There probably were genuine characteristics worth loving, at least if they were kept in balance or ordered for the right ends. The human will always pick the good, or at least the guise of the good. One cold truth for those who need the courage to leave is that you don't need to stop loving your abuser to leave. Indeed, leaving them may be the greatest love you had for them. And I mean more than a moralistic love. It is possible to love someone, or rather to love who someone used to be, or who we thought they were when we leave. There's no denying that person, even if they changed, or no longer exist, even if they only existed in our mind's eye, is worth loving. But we need to accept that the person in the unhealthy relationship isn't that person anymore least someone who finds themselves in this situation, think poorly of themselves for being there, realize that God himself finds himself in bad relationships all the time, though he does have the courage to leave them. One of the origins of Halloween was the concern among some European Christians that if we had a day for all saints, everyone in heaven, and a day for all souls, everyone in purgatory, then the damned may feel... left out. Obviously, a commemorative mass for the damned was never going to be an option. So they would parade around, banging pots and pans, to at least acknowledge the damned. And granted, I suspect that a great deal of this was superstition, appeasing the spirits so they wouldn't come back and cause havoc. But it is hard not to see the gesture, as in a probably distorted way a gesture of love after all the damned were our people too and even if they chose to rebel at the end that doesn't mean they had no goodness at least at one point in their lives i digress into this talk of unhealthy relationships and halloween because this realization that we need to realize that someone or a population That we love or loved, was in fact worthy of love, and we need not regret that love, but we need to realize they aren't that person anymore, and that this realization gives us a way to understand the reprobate. This realization, though, that the damned were people too, that they had grace in their lives at some point, may cause some to wonder, was the grace the damned had defective in some way? Was it, you know, a a trap of some sort? The uh, Thomistic tradition, uh, pioneered by St. Thomas Aquinas, speaks of efficacious grace, which the predestined receive, and sufficient grace, which the reprobate received. And uh, often when people object to the Thomistic definitions, they, the d- objections turn on seeing sufficient grace as a sort of trap. Just enough grace to make you more guilty for what you do, but just little enough to get you to hell. And I don't think sufficient grace should be seen that way. We're getting dangerously close to predestination, a topic I want to talk about more on this podcast. But for now... We can imagine an objection that God creates a person's nature, God also creates the life of grace, or at least the offer of the life of grace within a person. If someone is damned, why not either change their nature or their grace to ensure a different outcome? And this concern. I think is very easily dismissed when we're discussing nature. I think most people understand intuitively that if you change someone's nature to ensure that they make different choices, you've loved them out of existence. But what about grace? Grace is accidental, right? Meaning, not accidental meaning that it's an accident, but rather that you don't cease to exist if you reject the grace within you, right? If you somehow could reject your own nature and, and actually do that, not just deny it, but eliminate your own nature somehow, you would go out of existence, right? You need your nature to exist. You don't, conversely, don't strictly need grace to exist. You would still be you without your grace. But I don't think it follows from that that it's wise or healthy to hope or imagine that God could you know, for any given presumed person among the reprobate have changed the style of grace or kind of grace or degree of grace that God gave them in order to achieve a different outcome. Imagine Mary, the Blessed Virgin abstracted from the original grace gifted to her just her raw human nature as such. This Abstracted human nature could have been outfitted with a different set of grace. She could have, hypothetically, been born in original sin. She could have been given, you know, some sort of different collection of spiritual gifts. If we presume that, you know, the the, the divine creativity gave Mary the kind of the max grace, then obviously this whatever other constellation of graces we are imagining would be lesser than what actually did occur. That would this Mary, that was you know the same human, raw human nature a Mary, but uh, shined upon in the whole, by the Holy Spirit in a different way, with a different kind degree, style of grace, whichever word you prefer, would that result still be Mary? In some brute, cold philosophical sense, maybe the resulting creature would have the innate by nature form of the Mary we know. But in some sense, in in a huge sense, we would not recognize her nor she herself. Grace interacts with nature, it forms nature, it shapes nature. The same nature with a different light of grace is functionally a different being. It is here that we need to trust the potter and the clay. Of all the infinite hypothetical me's to switch the the thought experiment to me of all the hypothetical gabriels beings you know the hypothetical gabriel that heaven forbid was born without original sin uh which would not be befitting at all uh you know the hypothetical gabriel that has a different set of spiritual gifts by grace than i uh have as all people have um you know, we can imagine an infinite number of, of Gabriels, um, at least possible Gabriels, that have the same brute, raw human nature as me, but the Holy Spirit moves in and through them in a different way. And would all these Gabriels be Gabriels? I think that all that really matters is that of all those infinite Gabriels, I would not recognize any of the others, nor would any of the others recognize me. Grace elevates, changes, shapes nature, and even if by some brute philosophical calculation there's still a Gabriel in the Marvel multiverse of this thought experiment, I would not recognize any of the others nor are they me. And if of that infinite multitude, God chose to make me, He chose to create this nature and interact with it in the way he is, in fact, interacting with it. So if we say, well, to to get someone from the reprobate, we we need to change their nature uh, as nature. We understand we've loved them out of existence. But if we say that God should have changed grace, that we're making almost an even bigger error, an infinite scale of that error. Grace comes from the spontaneous love and creativity of God. To change grace is to change him. And if we are images of God, to be what we are, God has to be who he is. So we could move the thought experiment to say St. Michael and Lucifer. right? What if predestination grace operated differently so that St. Michael turned out rebelling and Lucifer wound up um, having the reverse role? All that can be said is that e- the actually real St. Michael and the actually real Lucifer would each be horrified by this hypothetical other version of them with, with different kind-style version of grace. If, if they could somehow meet them, they'd be horrified by this hypothetical other. Their nature has never known a different life of grace. Even we material creatures, for whom grace can grow, wax, and wane, are never without it. All grace is really from the same one Holy Spirit. Grace isn't a numerical value, a substance, or an energy. It's the Spirit forming us with his divine light, making our nature a new nature. Thus, you can't really separate a creature's graces completely. They are all from the same source, all part of the same life and formation of the same soul. All that can be said of the hypothetical, disobedient St. Michael or not saint in that case, hypothetical saved Lucifer and the hypothetical hypothetical, sinful Mary, is that these beings were not consistent with the spontaneous creativity of God. They thus lack that key, and indeed only standard of genuineness. They are not real. They exist only in the minds of philosophers, and each of these persons would hate the other version of themselves if they existed. I would argue, in the case of humans, even before final salvation or damnation, a different style of grace would still result in a human that was off. Not as dramatically different as a sinless and sinful Mary or you know the Saint Michael or Saint Lucifer reversed, but still different. They would not be the persons we know, that God knows, that we love, or God loves. So why make the reprobate? Because while the intuition the early celebrators of Halloween had to acknowledge, if we cannot bring ourselves to say honor, the damned is in fact disordered, it is not wholly so. God makes beautiful things, and beautiful things are not beautiful because they last, in all cases. The Lucifer that God in fact knew and in fact loved into being before he fell was in fact beautiful in heaven. Thus, the love God had for him, even if it couldn't last, was indeed valuable. The mortals who fall all do still have a dignity of being human, of having at one point reflected the divine beauty, even if they ultimately turned against it. Thus, those who imagine that God could hopefully give a grace to all, are lacking in love. They are denying that a reprobate person could have dignity, could have value, could be worth creating, dying for, and weeping for in the garden. Even if we will, and God will, have to say at some point, I still love that person, but I have to accept they are not that person anymore. That doesn't mean the former love was bad or that it wasn't love. The damned are worth making. The abusive person who needs to be loved does have the image of God in them somewhere and so the people who love and leave them don't need to deny their feelings. The problem with hopeful universalism is that it allows us to neglect this mystery, that loving people who who are ultimately revealed not to love us back is a love worth having. It is only disordered if we fail to accept the hard truth when it is revealed, but that love is still, in a deep, real way, valuable. It is a love that God has himself he loved lucifer knowing that lucifer ultimately would not love him that love is valuable as such is not merely a means to give the elect a villain to fight against there are some people who say well god loves the elect and he makes the reprobate because the battle between the elect and the reprobate makes the elect holier in the end uh, and I'm, it is true that God will always bring good out of evil, so I'm sure the elect are holier for the struggle they have against you know, sin, the devil, the world, etc. But if we believe that's the sole reason why the reprobate are made, uh, then we've turned the reprobate into tools made for the benefit of the elect. God loved Lucifer into being, because the Lucifer he loved into being was beautiful, and the love of him, as he was, as such, was a love worth having. Should we hope that all men are saved? No, not only because it contradicts the words of Christ, or makes us lax in working out our salvation in fear and trembling, but because to hope that all men are saved is to hope that a certain kind of love A love that is valuable, even though the relationship is revealed to not be able to last, will not be found in God. It is part of the mystery of the divine being to realize that this love is in God too. This should empower us. No relationship we entered was ever completely disordered, even if the person changes and we need to have the courage to leave those relationships may teach us what we need for the best final relationship, the one that we find that does in fact work out. Now I can imagine a a question here. It's easy to see how the the saved in heaven are who they are now because of grace, but it may be wondered if the damned are in no sense who they are now because of grace, since they now have none. Even the damned, though they would be loved to admit it, are impacted by grace. Grace joins nature, and to remove it we need to mutilate ourselves. Thus, even amongst all hypothetical Lucifers that ultimately rejected, there are differences. Because the devil bears the unique scars of rejecting the unique grace that was uniquely given to him. Thus, whether we accept it or reject it, the love of God makes us who we are. This is the mystery of predestination, and we should not wish it otherwise. This, of course, comes with the hard truth that people around us can change. Relationships can go bad. Some people we know and love may, ultimately, not be among the elect. In the end, to borrow wisdom from Mia, we never really know if the people in our lives are innocent or guilty, in grace or on the road to perdition. All we can do is believe in them. Sometimes praying for them is the only healthy way we can express that belief. But still, it is valuable that we, even though some in the human population are not saved, believe in them. And Christian, never let go of what you believe in. Never.